0: Open your Bibles this morning to Philippians chapter 3, please. We're going to finish up that chapter and actually finish up for a little while in Philippians. We'll probably reserve the fourth chapter till next year because we're going to move into Thanksgiving and Christmas and be preaching some special theme messages throughout the remainder of this year. And we'll come back and visit that rich fourth chapter, uh, God willing, next year. Philippians chapter 3, if you'll find that, please. Some of you may know that I lost my father to cancer uh, when I was only five years old and I was thinking about it this week. The following year, my mother and my brother and myself, uh, we participated in a fundraising walk for the American Cancer Society. And that's been a long time ago. And so I called my mother to ask her memories of it to see if her memories and my memories corresponded. And uh, they did. Uh, Anyway, we set out that day uh, to walk several miles to help raise money uh, for the Cancer Society to find a cure for cancer. And as a six-year-old boy, uh, I can assure you I started off very strong. I was just walking along. Uh, That was until I reached the first checkpoint. My mother thinks she remembers, or the second at least. And she seems to remember these checkpoints were every mile or mile and a half in between. And she thinks I got to the very first checkpoint and it was there that my plans for the day totally changed. Uh, Somehow at that first checkpoint, I went from walking as a participant to riding around in the ambulance all day with the fellows to provide support uh, for the walkers that day and basically for the rest of the day. What I did was I rode around in the ambulance, and I was helping these guys to make sure that water was out at the checkpoints. And, and I think I basically fulfilled the candy duty. I think I just basically distributed candy all day. I just made sure there was candy out. That's kind of a, a, a humorous thing to think about when it comes to a six-year-old kid uh, taking part in a walk or, or, or even a race, but it's not so funny when you think about it in regards to an adult in the Christian race. You know, the Christian life. Has been likened to a race that we're running. In fact Hebrews 12. 1 and 2 says it this way. Wherefore seeing also. We are also compassed about. With so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight. And the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience. The race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him. Endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, it's not a race to win salvation. We're not racing for our salvation. It's a race we're running because we're already saved. We already have our salvation through by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus. But you know, sadly, some believers are growing tired, some believers are growing weary. And maybe they're looking for an easier way to occupy their time. They're kind of like me on that uh, hot afternoon uh, so many years ago. They're looking around for the ambulance and the candy. You know, Paul here in the third chapter of Philippians alludes again to the race that we're running. And we're going to look at that some today. Uh, Paul may have been a sports fan when you think about it, because he talks about uh, sports quite a bit in his writings. He uses it quite a bit as his illustrations, but he's just shared with them. if you look at the 10th verse we studied last time, he shared with them his desire to know Christ. Look at chapter three, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. He already knew Christ as his savior. That was settled. He was a born-again child of God. He was headed to heaven, no doubt about it. But he wanted to know more of Christ. He wanted to know Christ experientially. He wanted to know Christ more fully. He wanted to know more and more of Christ. And he says that very plainly there in chapter 3, verse 10. But then in verses 12 and 13, we'll begin today. He gives an honest assessment of his spiritual life. Look at those verses with me. Not as though I had already attained... Either were already perfect, but I follow after it, that I may apprehend that for which also I'm apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. We'll add verse 14. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God In Christ Jesus. An honest assessment. Basically, Paul says here, beloved, I haven't arrived. I'm not there yet. I haven't reached the goal. Now, he's been a believer at this point for 30 years. He's the Apostle Paul, the great missionary statesman, the great church planner. The one who was used of God to even pen scripture through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's saved. He's headed for heaven. But he says, you know what? I haven't arrived in my spiritual life. I'm not perfect. He says there in verse number 12, not as though I'd already attained. Either were already perfect. And there the idea of perfection is this sinless perfection. Listen, if you claim today that you're perfect, that you're sinlessly perfect, you're saying you're better than the Apostle Paul. He says, listen, I haven't attained. I haven't arrived. I'm not perfect. And he makes it clear by repeating it there. Not as though I'd already attained. Either were already perfect. I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which I'm apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Over and over again. He says, listen, I haven't arrived. But you know what? Look at what he says there. I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which also I'm apprehended of Christ Jesus, he says in verse 13, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Now, the question is, what is the it that he's reaching for? What is the it there that he's following after? He says, I'm following after it. I'm trying to apprehend that which I'm apprehended for. What does that mean, preacher? Well, basically, what he's saying there is Jesus apprehended. Apprehended means seized or won. He says, Jesus seized me. Jesus won me on the road to Damascus. He's got me. And now I want to follow after what Jesus got me for. What is that? To make him like Jesus. To make him like Christ. Have you ever really thought about why God saved you? If you're here today and you're a child of God. And, you know, beyond the shadow of a doubt, you placed your faith in Jesus alone and your sins are forgiven and you're a child of God and you're headed for. Have you ever thought about why God saved you? If I were to ask you today after the service face to face, why did God save you? Some would say, well, so I wouldn't spend eternity in hell. And you know what? You're right. That's part of it. He says in Scripture, what? I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But, you know, something? the only reason. God saved you. Some might say, "Well, to save me from my sin." Yes, Second Corinthians five twenty one says, "For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him." Some might say, "Well, God saved me to have fellowship with me," and that's right. He did. It's a glorious thing to be a son or daughter of God, and all those things are correct. But I don't want you to miss this one. God saved you. Listen, beloved, to make you like His Son. The Lord Jesus Christ. Catch that. He saved you to make you like Christ. Romans 8, 28 and 29. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, listen, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be listen to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Yes. He saved you from hell. Yes, He saved you from your sin. Yes, He saved you to have fellowship with you. But He saved you as well, beloved. Don't ever forget to make you like Jesus. This same book, Philippians 1, verse 6 says this. Being confident of this very thing, that He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Get clear on this. God did not just save you to give you a fire insurance policy against hell. Now, praise God, we're not going to hell if we know Him. Praise God, we're going to spend eternity in heaven with him. Praise God, he saved us from our sin. Praise God, we have fellowship with him. But don't ever forget, God saved you and God is working in you to make you more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to be honest with you this morning. That's a good thing for a preacher to do, right? Be honest with the congregation. The older I get as a believer, the more I realize just how far I've got to go. There's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of work to be done to make Rodney Clements like Jesus. And don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that today in a defeated, discouraged way. I know that it will be accomplished. Well, I just read Philippians 1.6. I'm confident that he's going to finish the job he started. But at the same time, I have to say to folks and probably you as well. Be patient with me. God is not done with me yet. I'm a work in progress. I'm a construction zone, if you will. God is still working on me. God is still working in me. God is still laboring along to bring me more like Jesus. Paul would have said the same thing. He said, listen, I haven't arrived. I haven't arrived, but I will arrive. But the question today is, what about the time in between? The time we are saved and the time we're ultimately made like Jesus. What about that time in between? Well, Paul addresses that here and he lays down a clear plan, a clear plan we can follow to help us in our race to Christ's likeness Now, we've got to keep a balance here, beloved. It's good to be balanced. Blessed are the balanced. I think it was we said. We don't want to go to the extreme of legalism or the extreme of license. What do you mean, preacher? Here's what I mean. If you go to the extreme of legalism, everything's up to me. I've got to work hard. I've got to do all the rules. I've got to do everything just right, and I'm going to make it. No, uh-uh. And then there's the extreme of license. What's license? Well, that's this. I'll just let go and let God. I'm just going to let go and let God. No, there's a balance here. Listen, don't miss this. We cooperate with God as he works in our lives to make us more like Jesus. What we do, we do by his power, not ours. We run the race all the while depending on him. That's a key thought. Now, keep this in. I'm going to say it again. We cooperate with God as he works in our lives to make us more like Jesus. Okay, what we do, we do in his power, not ours. And as we're running this race, we run it all along depending on him. Let me illustrate. For some time now, I've been working diligently in the battle of the bulge. You know what that is? Now, I have to recognize that, as I shared and spent some time ago, as a spiritual battle. You have to recognize that it's a spiritual battle. You have to recognize sins of gluttony and so forth. You have to recognize not taking care of the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, I can pray for God's enablement, and I should, and I do. And I can read scripture and read all about the temple of the Holy Spirit and how God wants to use my body and so forth, and I should, and I do. I can pray and pray and pray to win this battle. But if I go out this afternoon to Ryan's buffet and I eat ten plates of food, guess what's going to happen? Whose fault is that? It's my fault. You see, I'm to cooperate with God as God works in me to make me more like Jesus. And what I do, I do in his power, not mine. And I run all along depending on him. We cooperate with God as he works in our lives to make us more like Jesus. Now, listen. Perfection will never be arrived at in this life. Mark it down. Write it down. Get it down. Perfection will never be arrived in this life. Maturity should be reached. But not perfection. See, so we won't reach perfection until we see Jesus and we get our new bodies. And we'll talk about that in a little bit here in this passage. Now. Some might be thinking, well, if I can't arrive at perfection here, why strive for it? Why even try? Well, we know the Bible says, tells us what? Grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are obedient to God. We want to grow. We want to obey him. And also, we love him because he first loved us. And out of love, I want to be more like Jesus. And so obedience and law plays a part. But as Chuck Swindoll reminds us, listen. The plan is progress, not perfection. The plan is progress, not perfection. If you're a perfectionist, you know the struggle you have there. I I used to be more of a perfectionist than I am now, but I still have some of those tendencies. Swindoll said perfectionists have a whale of a battle with this. They want life to be lived flawlessly by everyone. That is why I've said for years that perfectionists are people who take pains and give them to others. He says progress. Listen, progress is the main agenda of life. Listen, if you can see changes in your own life as to compared to, say, a year ago or more, take heart. You're on the right road. Now, think about that in your own life, where you are spiritually this morning as compared to a year ago. Do you see some progress do you see, as you look at yourself and your life and your attitudes and your actions and your responses, do you see you've been made more like Jesus? Take heart. You're on the right road. So the question is, are you progressing in Christ's likeness? Now, some today maybe, maybe say, you know what? I don't even know Jesus. Well, friend, i got great news for you. Jesus is waiting for you. He died for you. He arose again for you. He's there waiting and says, come to me. And I'll save you and forgive you. if you've never met Jesus, come today in repentance and faith and take him as your own Lord and Savior. For those of us who know him already, we know the goal is Christ's likeness. Now, you ready for the plan? A clear plan. Are you ready? Let's begin reading there again in verse 13. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. OK, first point on the plan. Are you Ready? Forget the past. Forget the past. You heard me correctly. Forget the past. By the way, that word forget there in the original language, it's in the present tense. It means continuous action. Forgetting and forgetting and forgetting and keep forgetting and keep forgetting. This is actually an ancient athletic term. It's the idea of a runner who outruns somebody else in a race. And once he got into the lead, he would never do what. He would never turn and look back. He'd forget about the other runner. He focuses on the tape before him. He focuses on the finish line. He focuses on the goal. If he turns back, some mighty bad things could happen. He keeps looking forth. Now, let me ask you a question this morning: Do you live your life looking through the windshield or into the rearview mirror? Do you live your life looking? through the windshield or into the rearview mirror. Now, we're to forget those things behind. Well, obviously we possibly can't literally forget that is erased from our minds everything in the past. But we can forget it in the idea of not choosing to dwell on it, to to foster it, to allow it to hinder us in the future. We can have selective memory, if you will. You see, some people are debilitated by their past failures. Someone has said so eloquently, memory is a nursery where grown children play with broken toys. Think about that for a moment. In other words, you go and dig that stuff back up and it brings with it guilt and shame and remorse and depression and the like. I'm talking about Christians who go back and dig up past failures and past sins, even those that God forgave long ago. As they came and asked his forgiveness and and, and he remembers it no more, but they do and they refuse to forgive themselves. Maybe you're here today and God has forgiven some past failure, some past sin. He's chosen to forget it forever. And yet you've not let go of it. You've not chosen to forgive yourself. Are you better than God? Are you greater than God? If he's forgiven, if he remembers no more, why do you? Why don't you just let go of that and say it's buried in the sea of this forgetfulness? But people hang on to their past failures. The story is told of a businessman who was notorious for saving everything that came across his desk. And invariably, after a while, the office files were bulging. And one day his personal assistant said, listen, can I get rid of this old material? And he was reluctant, you know, the kind of fellow he was. And finally, he said, OK, Mary, you can get rid of it. Make sure you make a copy of everything before you shred and throw it away. That's ridiculous. But how much more ridiculous is it for us to hang on to past failures and past sins that had been forgiven? If you dealt with them at the cross, leave them there. Forget them. Now, if you haven't dealt with them at the cross, bring them today. Bring them in confession and say, Lord, forgive you this, take this and then forget them. Do not let your life be debilitated with regrets in what might have been, what I should have done, where I should have lived, what I should have done. Listen, forget it. Now, sure, we can learn from past mistakes. We could even give thanks for God's forgiveness and grace, but we're not going to camp there. We're not going to live there. We're going to forget it. We're going to move on. We're going to get over it. Now, I know that sounds harsh. I know somebody said, that sounds mean, preacher. But listen, in reality, it's the kindest thing I could say to many people this morning. Because their lives are hindered and hampered. Because for years, they've hung on to a past failure or a past sin. They've fostered it. They've nursed it. They've visited it over and over again. Friend, get over it and move on with your life. Paul says, "Listen, forget it." You think Paul had anything to forget? Here's the man that persecuted the church. Here's the man that held the coat of Seneca, the Seneca to the stoning of Stephen. Here's a man who hated Jesus at one point. He says, "Listen, I'm forgetting it." Forget it. But you know what happens too? Some people are debilitated by past failures. While others are debilitate, debilitated by past victories, Doctor B. H. Carroll, in one of his commentaries, tells the story of a man who impressed his pastor in church with his testimony. But he began to glory in that story, and he began to carefully write it out. and he would, He would read it to every visitor who came. Anybody listened to him, he would he would share this testimony. Listen, he kept that written testimony in a drawer. Very special document. I kept it in a drawer. But you know what happened? One day some mice got in that drawer and ate up his Christian experience. Listen, if all your Christian testimony is what you used to do and what the Lord once taught you and the scripture you used to study, something is wrong. We cannot live on past victories. We cannot live on what we used to do. I used to witness. I used to pray. I used to study my Bible. I used to be at church every morning for Sunday school, Sunday morning worship, Wednesday night. I used to, used to, used to, and people live in the land of used to. That's a miserable place to live. The same thing can happen to a church. Boy, we used to do this, and we used to do that, and we used to do that over yonder. All the glory days shouldn't be back in the... Way back yonder. beloved. what has God said to you lately? What has God taught you this week? Not three years ago or 30 years ago. We cannot live on past victories. We can look back on those old days and say, praise the Lord. Thank God for that. But we cannot live there. We've got to forget those things and move on. Now, I've spent the majority of our time on this point this morning on purpose because I think we need it. Forget those things behind the past failures, the past mistakes, the past victories and say, look, I'm not living back there. I'm here. I'm looking forward, which is the next part of the plan. Forget the past. Now focus on the goal. Verse 13 again says, I'm reaching forth into those things which are before I press for the mark for the prize, the high calling in God in Christ Jesus reaching forth is the picture of a runner who throws his head back and puts out his chest to break that tape first. Paul says, listen, I'm not looking back. I'm looking forward. I've got my eyes set on the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. One day I'm going to be perfect. One day I'm going to truly be Christ-like. And here today, I'm going to make progress toward that by the grace of God, with the help of God and the power of God. I'm going to cooperate with God. I'm looking forward. I'm focusing on the goal of Christ-likeness. I'm focusing on Jesus. I want Christ. Forget the past. Focus on the goal. Now, third, follow the right examples. Follow the right examples. Look at verse uh, 15. 15. Let us therefore as many as be perfect, now there the idea of perfect is not sinless perfection, but maturity. If you want to be mature, be thus minded. If anything ye otherwise mind it, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, it says in verse seventeen, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have for us for in samples. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping. They're enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Maturity, not sinless perfection, he says there basically we've made progress. Let's keep on going. And in life, there are good examples and there's bad examples. The good examples would include Paul. Be followers together of me. Verse 17. Mark them which walk so as you've had us for an example. Paul says, look, look at my life. Look at those mature believers there for you in Philippi. Use our lives. He's not puffing himself up. He's not exalting himself. He's saying, hey, I'm following after Jesus. Follow me as I follow Christ. Choose good examples. Who do you look to, beloved? Do you look to strong, mature believers? And say, look, I, I want to follow in their examples. They follow Jesus. Or do you look to the bad examples? The bad examples are mentioned in verse eight, nine, 18 and 19. For many walk of whom I've told you often. He tells them about this many times. I tell you, weeping is broken hearted. He says, listen, these folks are enemies of the cross of Christ. Why are they enemies? Well, he, he describes in verse 19, whose end is destruction. What does that mean? They're going to hell. No wonder he's weeping. These people are enemies of the cross. Enemies of Christ. They're going to spend an eternity in hell apart from Christ. He says their God is their belly. What's that mean? They live for their appetites. Sensual appetites. These type of people say eat, drink and be merry because tomorrow we die. These are the hedonists of life. Squeeze all the pleasure you can out of this world and this life. Notice what else he says about them. Who glory in their shame. What does that mean? It means they boast they have pride and things they ought to be ashamed of. Our world is filled with that. People boasting of things they ought to be ashamed of. And then it says what in verse 19? Who mind earthly things. What does that mean? That means they live for the here and now. They live for what they can get here. They don't mind heavenly things. They don't focus on eternity. They just focus on right now. Paul says, look, I haven't attained. I haven't arrived. I haven't made it. Here's the plan, though. Forget the past. Past victories, past failures, forget the past. Focus on the goal of Christ's likeness. Focus on Jesus. Follow the right example. And then finally, fourthly, finish the race. Look at verse 20 and 21. For our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, our body of humiliation, our human body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to even to subdue all things unto himself. Listen. Conversation there means citizenship. He says our citizenship is in heaven. We've got to remember that as believers. This is not the end. This is not the final destination. We're looking. That idea has the idea of eagerly awaiting our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. As the church, we're waiting for the rapture. We're waiting for the Lord Jesus to come back and get us. We're not looking for the undertaker. We're looking for the uptaker. Even so, come Lord Jesus. But either way, we're going to finish our race. And at the rapture, we'll get our new bodies. Verse 21 says, he'll change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. The dead in Christ shall be raised first. The dead in Christ shall be raised first. Then we we which are alive and remain shall be caught up with them. And we'll get a resurrection body. 1 Thessalonians 4 says it this way. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. That we which are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And I love 1 John 3, 2. Man, take this as a verse and live there. 1 John 3, 2 for a while. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. Even so come, Lord Jesus. A resurrection body. (laughs) Praise the Lord. An old farmer and his son went to the big city for the first time. They'd never been off the farm. They'd never seen the likes of what they saw in that big city. And the thing that really caught the attention of the old farmer the most was an elevator. And he was just amazed at this thing. This what is this elevator? And they were standing in the lobby of a downtown hotel, a downtown building. And he saw this old wrinkled woman. She was a disheveled woman. She was on old walker. And she steps into the elevator and the door closed. They stand there watching the elevator. In a few minutes, the doors up back up, and out stepped this gorgeous looking young woman. And the farmer looked at his son and said, Wait, right here. I'm going home to get your mama and run her through that thing.
1: <laughs> Listen, an
0: elevator can't transform a person, but Jesus can. And one day we're going to get our resurrection body, our new body. I'm excited about that. We haven't arrived. We're not there yet. Haven't arrived. But praise be to God for making progress. God's working in us. Now here's a challenge today. Forget the past. Don't live there. Past failures, past sin, past victories. Focus on the goal. Christ-likeness. Follow the right examples. And one day, beloved, you will finish the race. You'll be changed by Jesus. You'll be complete. I understand at the foot of one of the Swiss Alps is a marker honoring a man who fell to his death attempting the ascent there. And the marker gives his name and it gives this brief, brief epitaph. It simply says he died climbing. You know what? That's what we need as believers. The Lord does not return first. May it be said of all of us, listen, he or she, they die climbing higher and higher, more and more like the Lord Jesus. Would you bow your head and close your eyes this morning? Very quickly before we pray, I wonder today. There's anybody here does not know Jesus as their own Lord and Savior. Perhaps a lot of what I've been talking about is foreign to you because you don't know him. Well, friend, you can know him today. You're a sinner, you're lost, you're undone. But Jesus paid for your pardon on the Calvary. He arose again victorious. If you'll come today in repentance and faith, he'll save you. I invite you to come. The majority of the message has been for... My brothers and sisters in Christ to myself as well. Do you need to let go of the past today? Past sin, past failures, past victories. Will you let go of those today? If you've dealt with them at the cross, let them go. If you haven't come today and deal with them at the cross, don't let them hinder and debilitate your life and your future. Have you made Christ likeness your goal? Are you living in the land of used to? Do you have a fresh testimony today of what God is doing in your life right now? What he taught you this week. And maybe some today need to examine their examples and see if they're following the right examples. We're going to pray and we're going to sing in the altars open today. And I want you to be submissive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for Paul and his honesty. Lord, he says, I haven't arrived, but I'm making progress. I thank you, Lord, that you are going to finish the work. You're going to make us just like Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, for working on us day in and day out to make us more like him. Father, I pray right now for your Holy Spirit to work in this group of people. If anyone's lost, bring them in salvation today. And then whatever need in the life of a Christian, bring them today. Lord, work now, I pray, in the Savior's name. Amen.